Paul Tillich, 20th century German theologian, speaks of faith and courage as an act of the human personality. Now, stick with me here. This is a little complicated. I'll try to interpret as I go. Tillich says, An act of faith is an act of a finite being, me or you, who is grasped by and turned to the infinite, which is God. It is, an, it is a finite act with all the limitations of a finite act. And it is an act in which the infinite, God, participates beyond the limitations of our finite act. Faith is certain insofar as it is an experience of the holy. But faith is uncertain insofar as the infinite God to which it is related is received by a finite being, us. Now, this is where doubt comes in. Not as the opposite of faith, but as an element of it. This element of uncertainty, this doubt, cannot be removed. It must be accepted. And the element in faith which accepts this doubt is courage. In the courageous standing of uncertainty, faith shows most visibly its dynamic character. And that's Tillich. Most of today's readings center on faith, the faith of Abraham to trust God, to show him where to lead his people, the faith of the psalmist to trust God as an ever-present protector, the encouragement of Paul to the church in Rome to share in Abraham's faith. And then there's old Nicodemus, the Pharisee whose faith has always been, very rightly, in the Jewish law. Sometimes Nicodemus is given a bad rap because he sneaks out to see Jesus at night to avoid any public association with him. While this may be true, I believe that Nicodemus shows extraordinary courage in approaching Jesus at all. Nicodemus has faith in God and in Torah. His uncertainty comes when he witnesses the signs that Jesus has been performing. And Jesus doesn't really help this uncertainty when he speaks with Nicodemus in metaphor. Be born from above? Or <clears throat> born again? Be born of water and the Spirit? Where does the wind come from? Or where does it go? Ascending and descending to and from heaven? Whoever believes will have eternal life? No wonder Nicodemus asks, How can these things be? After all, he's an old man, and Jesus comes at him with some pretty radical, newfangled ideas. But clearly, this late-night encounter stuck with Nicodemus. I can see him going back home in the middle of the night, laying on his bed, replaying the whole scene. 
He only appears two more times in the Gospel of John, and his actions are telling. Nicodemus was bolstered enough in his faith and courage to mildly challenge his colleagues, the Pharisees, on Jesus' behalf in chapter 7. Then the temple police went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, Why did you not arrest him? The police answered, Never has anyone spoken like this. Then the Pharisees replied, Surely you have not been deceived too, have you? Has any one of the authorities or of the Pharisees believed in him? Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus before, asked, Our law does not judge people without first giving them a hearing to find out what they are doing, does it? Finally, over in chapter 19, After these things, the crucifixion, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices in linen cloths, according to the burial customs of the Jews. At last, Nicodemus steps out of the darkness, literally and metaphorically, and moves into the light. Through his one finite encounter with Jesus, Nicodemus is able to overcome his uncertainty, granted over a period of some time, and be grasped by and turned to the infinite, the Son given by God to save the world. I imagine that at one time or another we've all been like Nicodemus, alone in the dark, uncertain, asking ourselves, what am I doing? How did I get here? How can these things be? Our own darknesses take on many forms, self-pity, worry over finances or family, prejudice, anxiety or depression, addiction to drugs or alcohol. To us, they can seem ugly and insurmountable, often too ugly or insurmountable even to try to overcome. And if we've existed in our darkness for a long time, it takes on a kind of unholy comfort. We become used to it and can't or won't give it up. And we surely can't believe that we could be forgiven for it. And so we continue in darkness. But Jesus tells us an important truth at the end of today's passage. He did not come to condemn. That is someone else's job. Jesus came in order that the world, of which we are a part, might be saved through him. And he is fully aware of our weakness. The people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Still, verse 21 is the kicker. Those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Notice that Jesus doesn't say do what is good or right or holy, just what is true. 
And what is true about each of us is that we are the sum of all our parts, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The question for us is this. Can we, as Tillich implied, accept our doubt, screw up our courage, and make that turn to the infinite, and like Nicodemus, take one small step from the dark into the light? We don't have to negotiate with God. We don't have to beg Him to be lenient. We don't have to promise to be perfect going forward because that would never happen anyway. What we do have to do is believe Jesus' words for ourselves. That no matter what we've done, if we can bring it into the light and acknowledge it for what it is and believe that Christ saves us from it, then we can live more in the light and less in the darkness. Why do you think we say the confession not only during Lent, but on nearly every Sunday? To acknowledge the truth of our sins and to own them. Here I am again, Lord. I bring you the things I have done and left undone, repenting of them and believing that you, for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, will have mercy on me and forgive me. Gosh, that's good news.